everybody. Welcome to the Family Jewels True Crime Podcast. My name is Brian Sobolewski, and I am your host. Welcome to Episode 7, Guilt in the Absence of Crime. Huge topic. And, uh, you know, I, first off, um, got a lot to get to today. Got a lot to get to because there's a lot of frustration surrounding today's topic. And it is um, highly relatable. So, first I want to start off with a shout-out. Because season three, I don't know whether or not it's because the podcast is gained in popularity or whether or not season three is just hitting uh, a nerve or, you know, hitting a note for, for a lot of people. But I am getting more feedback from season three than I've gotten from any of the other um, seasons. And it, it was always my hope that this was the season that kind of tied everything together and would make my story and how different it is and how different my family was and is more relatable and help me reach common ground with people. Understand, folks, that as much as I say I hate it, uh, there is a huge part of me, my healthy side, screams for connection, right? And in this day and age, it's both hard to connect with everything that you can do online and very easy to connect with everything you can do online. And again, I, I thank everybody that has that have reached out because, you know, last episode struck a nerve with some people and and you know the, not that they relate but they can certainly relate parts of my story to parts of their lives and and that's why I get out of bed in the morning so uh go to um xconcomedy.com is my website you can get updates on anything going on true crime podcast wise and with uh any comedy and uh from there I have to say that today's topic is super frustrating because there aren't many places in psychology that, um, there aren't many places in this realm of science that give you applicable solutions to the categories of problems that they tend to find, okay? So, I will tell you that determinism is, um, as we've been talking, the type of therapy that I have done and is nowhere now. I don't think it exists anywhere. And if there are any deterministic therapists out there, please get in touch with me. Just just to check in, I'd love to know if there are any but if there's anybody out there still practicing this type of therapy. And I'll, one of the tenants that I haven't mentioned was, um, and I say it's a tenant because it's something that Bob and I talked about a lot, and it's something that I still use today. This guilt. In the absence of a crime is neurotic. I heard that by her Bob say that a million times. A million times. I heard that. And I say it to myself. And it has done immense good for me in terms of helping me use a mathematical process to determine whether or not my feeling is justified or whether or not I have to turn over a different rock. So as I'm in the process of trying to weed through all of the shit, all, and again, you know, to recap, because, you know, this isn't easy, the therapy is a process, determinism anyway, and all therapy should be a process of um, digging down to the core belief system that you operate on and from there determining whether or not those core beliefs are lies and whether or not they serve 
to uh, further good things in your life or they are causing you to struggle. And in most instances, in most instances, and mine is certainly one, I can tell you that the beliefs that I adopted very early on in my life were ones that I needed to survive. Children are powerless and powerful adults control children. And when that control and when that power becomes, um, that absolute power goes corrupt as it always does, problems happen and you raise shitty kids. Now, there's so much of determinism puts a, a significant amount of blame on the parents because simply, mathematically, we are not self-made. We are imprinted by our parents, both healthy sides and neurotic sides. Now, I got to tell you, when I, it's important for us to understand when I throw around that term neurotic, what that means. And, and in, especially in terms of guilt, when we're talking about whether or not you should feel guilty. So I said it already. Guilt in the absence of a crime is neurotic. So what does neurotic mean? You know, it's it's associated with, you know, it's a it's a negative term. But you know, I start digging around in psychology. I start medical news today, psychology today, a bunch of different sites that I kind of pop around on in preparation for episodes like this, so I can give you whatever useful information might be out there, and I can use it. There's nothing out there, man. It was coined. It was a term coined in the 18th century to label a range of psychological disorders. And because of that, because it was such an umbrella for other things, it's very difficult to, to narrow down what we're talking about. Bob used it in the sense that it was the fuel your little one ran on. Now, Bob always talked in terms of your big one is your healthy side. He's the one that gets you to work. He's the one that makes you a productive member of society. But your little one is the one that comes along and it's like a six-year-old starts kicking things over, messing things up, and, and you know, is, is a good way to look at some of the decisions in your life you don't understand. It's coming from a place of a little kid that's not satisfied with something. That need is not being met, so the need for that little one to act out, and it is, it's like a little errant child. Now, neuroticism is not the same as neurotic, okay? Now, neurotic is a blanket term to sort of uh, narrow down the category of whether or not this behavior is uh, rooted in reality. We'll say, and it, it's rooted in a reality, it's your reality. But is it, is it something that is going to affect your functioning is the question. And usually neurotic behavior, um, you know, tends to not do that. You don't tend to find that a neurotic person, you know, just switches on a light switch. This is why OCD was so difficult to deal with. These people still produced. You know, they just had to switch the lights on, on and off 15 times before they entered or left a room. And I'm probably, you know, marginalizing and minimizing the the struggle people with true OCD go through. But my, um, my neuroticism, my neurotic side, um, likes to use guilt to motivate me to behavior. Right? So if we're trying to uncover unconscious motivations that are fueled by beliefs, deep-rooted beliefs, 
that may or may not be true. So one of those ideas is that you need to be 100% loyal to your blood. That your blood relatives deserve 100% of your loyalty. This is something that everybody runs on. This is the type of guilt. You know, guilt, but families tend to run on guilt, right? Run on Duncan's. Um, this is run on guilt. Families are run on their ability to say, why, you know, you need to come here. You need to be part of this because your family. And that's usually rooted in the idea that children owe their parents. And that that is a lie. Nobody owes their parents anything. Nobody owes anybody anything. You may owe some credit cards, but that's money and you don't have to pay that. What's going to happen if you don't pay it? Oh, my credit. There's neurotic. That's neurotic. You really don't have to pay shit. There are consequences to everything, you know, and th this is how we sort of get back down to reality and start to weed out some of those things that you're thinking or that I'm thinking. And boy, when I went into Bob, I was loaded with them. I was having so many migraines about being dragged to prison again. I had to get, by this point in the story, I was working so much that I avoided having to go to visit Dad and Kev in Shirley. This is the point, and as I started this therapy, I, I cut them off. As soon as I started to believe what Bob was telling me, that the guilt that I was feeling in the absence of a crime wasn't healthy. It, it wasn't serving me very well. But you know what? It, it, he said it is an unbelievable motivator. When I say that families run on guilt, it's because it is the one emotion that we can elicit in you that will get you to act. Anger's another one. But anger is episode eight, and it's going to take me an hour to get through all my shit. But my guilt stemmed from, you know, that, that basic, that basic core function that families tend to run under, is that I owed my grandmother my allegiance, I owed her my loyalty, I owed her my Sundays, I owed her my migraines, I owed her the stress that it put me through, I, the, the, I would rather not. You know what I mean? There was part of me that's like, listen, it would probably be healthy for me not to visit a prison because of some, how much stress it puts me under. Just going under those, those razor wire swirls between, you know, walls, it's, it was stressful. But the guilt made me put all of that aside to my detriment. To my detriment. And, and that's, that's one of the things that Bob started bringing to light to me. And as soon as I started to measure it out, right? As soon as I started to say, hmm, does, does this work? And I would be like, okay. As soon as I would think, okay, I got to. I got to go do this. I got to go do this. I, I'd be like, okay, is this guilt? What if I don't? All right, well, if I don't, then it doesn't get done. Okay, well, then what? Well, then I feel guilty. Well, why do you feel guilty? Is there a crime not doing that? No. Okay. Let's move on with our lives. It was just so, it was beautiful. And, but I, you know, I ended up being like a monkey with a nail gun with it. I ended up being a monkey with a nail gun in it because I essentially stopped doing anything anybody expected of me. Um, and if, and if I blew something off, I didn't spend any of the time that I blew it off bummed out about it. So, you know, a, a little bit of, of therapy is a good thing, uh, but I, I took everything right to heart. 
And one of the things that it really bugged me about was, was you know, this was around the time that Babci, um, my mother's mother, my Polish grandmother, after my mom died, man, she took a slide. She went down hard. She would only wear black. She would only go out if I went there and took her like to a family function. So I was, another thing that guilt was motivating me to do, it took me away from dad's side of the family because it was like, holy shit, what a shit show this whole thing is. I can't seem to mine a nugget of anything um, wholesome or, or, you know, when I go and, and sit with dad and Kevin in a prison, it's not a... Hey, son, it, 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 it was ridiculous. Um, and, and I used guilt in the absence of a crime to sort of push them aside. You know, but it brings up a, a, another really big topic. But um, my poor grandmother, um, she, she, her Parkinson's just took off. It took off after mom died. It just seemed like she gave up. Every time I went over there, she was just sitting in a chair watching Wheel of Fortune. I used, I used to try to stop by at the same time every day. Guilt motivated me to check in on her way more than Bun. And um, it was decided that she needed so much, you know, urgent care um, that they were going to put her in a home and they put her in a home in Danvers, Massachusetts and every single Sunday that I had time I would try to go there and I went there because of guilt and I stayed there like you know that people imagine you're sitting there and you're looking at your watch because the person that you knew is not there anymore they're not there there's the vessel still there but they're not and and you know I'm, tr I'm trying to figure out how many clicks of my watch I have to sit for before I can, before guilt will let me go. And it's just a shitty. It's just shitty. It's not my favorite place to be. It's not my favorite way of thinking. And I, I will tell you, it's one of the first big things that opened up um, my brain and allowed me to, it, it was the first real lie that I unearthed, that I wasn't a bad person. I wasn't a bad person for not wanting to be there. I wasn't a bad person for not wanting to sit with the vessel, with this, this shell of a woman that I used to know. And, you know, the woman I used to know, I, can't, I wasn't very fond of. She was not very nice to me. So, you know, throw that all into the mix and then you get a nice glass of, well, I don't give a shit. I don't have to go. I don't have to go and I don't have to feel like a piece of shit for not going. I don't know. I, I may sound heartless here. I hope I don't sound heartless because I'm not a heartless person. But when you start to examine how motivating guilt is, you see why people use it. You can get somebody to do whatever you want right now. The closer they are to you, the quicker you can motivate them through guilt. And I can tell you right now, I have a handful of friends right now that could call me up and get me to lick the bottom of their shoe if they attach the right story to it, all for fear that I would lose their friendship or their support or their love. If I didn't, that's, that's my neuroses. That's my neurotic side. And, uh, you know, but also understand that I'm healthy enough to say that the what I receive from those people is tenfold 
to anything I would be inconvenienced in having to, you know, satisfy the guilt monster. If that makes any sense. You know what I mean? So that was the whole thing. When I sat down and I looked at my family, I was like, Jesus, these people cost me nothing but misery. Why am I still serving them? Why do I still feel guilty? Why do I still feel like I owe them? That's the question. And it's a question that, that throws determinism right into the realm of controversy. Huge controversy. Which is also another reason why the American Psychiatric Association, of which Peter Gill, the founder of determinism, was a member, was sort of tried and thrown out. And this type of therapy was shunned in a big way by the um, APA, American Psychiatric Association. Back when I could find more documentation about this type of therapy online, there was more about it. And, and you know, I, be, only because Bob told me where it was. And I looked at it and I read every inch of it. And the American Psychiatric Association was unbelievably unfair with how out of context what the people com that were complaining and bringing charges against him for um, it, it just wasn't right. It was a witch hunt. So understand that what I just talked about, what I just talked about, about bringing to light a way to look at whether or not you, the, the guilt that you feel over certain things in your life is measurable to um, whether or not it's neurotic. Did you commit a crime? No, I didn't commit a crime. It's not, it's not a crime not to go see my grandmother in a rest home. Might make me a piece of shit, but it doesn't even do that. And see, that that's the trap that I was so stuck in, man. I was so stuck in this trap. And my conclusion was that I didn't have to do it. And I didn't have to feel like a piece of shit for not doing it. And some people take that to mean that you should abandon your family and you should leave your family. So much of what Bob told me was that th there was one thing he used to always pose to me. So, and you guys can do this exercise. Uh, and this is how he got, how Peter Gill got in trouble with the American Psychiatric Association because this question is so simple and so direct and such an easy way to figure out whether or not you are neurotically loyal to your family is uh, think about the way that just think about the poorest interaction you've ever had with a sibling, right? Just, or even the best, depending on how good your relationship is. And if a stranger came along right now and treated you the same way someone in your family did, what would you do? That's the question. I'll repeat it. If a stranger walked up to you and started treating you like your brother does, what would you do? And, you know, say it's a dysfunctional situation. Say it's an argument. You wouldn't put up with it. You'd, you'd say, see you later. Wouldn't bother you. Wouldn't affect you. You'd be like, hey, there's some crazy guy trying to start an argument with me. I think I'm going to leave. Or do, you get in, or do you end up engaging in that? Does your neurotic side see an opportunity to be, to, to best somebody? So I can tell you most of the fights that I've ever been in were against guys that, that could kill me. I was always facing my brother. I was always trying to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with somebody that wasn't him, because so somebody that didn't have the same emotional impact. Somebody that I didn't automatically, part of me just automatically die to, automatically lose to. 
so so this is how powerful these um, these factors can be and this is how powerful guilt is okay and so Peter Gill gets in a bunch of trouble because people were saying you know my therapist was suggesting that I leave my family well no when Bob used to say that if somebody came into your house and treated you like your brother did you wouldn't stand for it as a powerful adult but you had to stand for it as a weak child um, is a way to look at how you dealt with it then and the way you should be dealing with it now. You probably wouldn't put up with it, but you're putting up with it potentially. And, and that's how I looked at it. And this is, I did exactly that. I cut everybody in my, on my father's side of the family off. I could not find a redeeming quality. I could not find a place where I could sit in that, in that realm and be okay and just relax and and feel needed wanted loved supported yada 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 well, you know i love you to death is a very interesting term why not loving you to life you know shit like that that what that was so th those are the beliefs that that you kind of delving into and when you do, you, you pull it up and you're like, Jesus Christ, I'm a sick son of a bitch. That's <laughs> uh, it's certainly what I did. And um, so again, neuroticism, all things that are really, really difficult to term. And again, brings forth for me some frustration as a scientist. And mostly because I have always tend to study sciences that did not offer a plus B equals C um, solutions. You know what I mean? I've always rejected math. I always had such a difficult time with math. And maybe because I hated prime numbers and odd numbers and I just had an issue with numbers. But I, that part of my brain was never developed. And my dad went to engineering. He went to a school of engineering and uh, ended up doing sales for, you know, um, computer software was the, it was like the very first version of com computer software but he had that brain and so did Kev Kev could sit down and bust out math um, easy and I just whew, man I get overconfident I get way overconfident in my um, once I think I have it like a formula I'll just blow through it and be like oh my god I got every answer right and I'll come back I'll get a two on the on the exam uh, it, so my brain has always sort of liked to to swim around in the non-science sciences. <laughs> you know, psychology is not really a science. When you have definitions like, um, you know, we don't know. It, it's just a bunch of traits and categories and subcategories of subcategories. And now that we have all these subcategories, what do we do with the... You, know, you just don't know what to do with the information. So in terms of how much science is out there, how many books you had to read, to get your degree and how much you actually learn to do, to do, to apply. You walked out of school with a psych degree and didn't know how to do shit. Maybe you took a counseling class. I remember Marcel, we took an interviewing class, which means you needed to attend. You needed to lean towards the person. You needed to pair it back to them. Uh, you needed to repeat back to them what they were saying, but not parrot it. I am angry. Oh, so I hear frustration in your voice over a particular thing going on in your life. 
and the person's supposed to go, yes, oh my God, oh, you know me so well. Like, the, it's almost this, uh, just, and it was so coy, because it worked, kinda, but then you sit in front of a heroin addict, and he's like, dude, shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? But um, how much of this stuff that, that you can look online right now, Medical news today. I got 16 pages. Is it neuroticism or neurosis? Well, we don't know what either one of them are. So, uh, characteristics of neurosis, emotional instability, a general affection, uh, and I don't even know what that means, so I'm not even going to read it, uh, caused by an unpleasant experience. Well, who hasn't had one of them? Sorry, my phone keeps going off. I'm very popular, folks. Um, who hasn't had an... Uh, so, if, I, <laughs> if I've had an unpleasant experience... Um, medical news today says that, uh, yeah, I'm going to be neurotic conflict between two psychic elements. <laughs> God, it's so odd. At one point, man, I love this stuff so much. And now I go back and read it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We please just tell me what to do. What do I do? So please understand that that is why I fell in love with this type of therapy. And I hated this type of therapy at the same time because it was so difficult. It was so difficult to get to the root cause of why am I guilty? Why do I feel like shit all the time? Why do I behave, you know, snap to when certain people call? Why, you know, and I didn't want to struggle anymore. So I got to the point where if I was going to go see my grandmother, I was going to go there and, and enjoy it and do it with the minimal as the minimal amount of guilt that I could. And uh, I ended up, God, I, there was this one woman, they would take my grandmother out of her room and they'd sit her out in the front of the room and she'd sit with other people and she had this next door neighbor. And this next door neighbor um, would always just tap me on the shoulder lightly and she would say, hey, I'll pay you. I'll pay you. And I'd be like, pay, pay me to what? And she'd be like, uh, get me out of here. Come on, go get your car. Go get, I have cash. I have cash. I'll pay you. I'll pay you. It was like, wow, wow. So, see why I didn't want to go? Um, and then I finally said, all right, I'll go get my car. Man, where's the cash? Let's do this. <laughs> um, that, that's fun to me, by the way. And, you know, once the mindset changed, I actually tried to use any time that I had left with Bupchi to uh, just feel okay sitting next to a woman that I don't think I've ever sat with and held her hand. I'd never done that. Certainly not without it being balled in a fist and being, you know, shoved in my face. The only time we ever held hands was when I was trying to block her. Um, you know, it, it was a very different mindset. And the guilt, um, when I made it about me and, and trying to uh, bridge a gap, it became something much more meaningful. And when she died, I was okay with it. I went to her funeral and it was the same as my mother's, the two sisters in two different rooms. And it was just a shit show. I don't think I went, um, no, I went to the burial the next day. I went to everything the way that I was supposed to, but none of that stuff ever held, none of that stuff will ever stick out my mind 
more than sitting with her and holding her hand. You know, and all the other times that she punched me. Those, those, those stick out in my mind too. So the other part of this that was very difficult to mine through, especially post-humously, humously? What is the dead thing? Not humorously. Um, was any of the guilt that I felt over the way that I cared for my mother? Um, any of the guilt that I felt over the anger that I felt towards my mother? You know, the fact that I got up and I grabbed Bob and I left therapy and he ended up letting me back into therapy um, were all signs pointing to the fact that I had shit that wasn't resolved. The guilt was also, um, you know, guilt's a little different than anger, I'm going to tell you, but they're both amazing motivators. And that's one of the things that kept Bob kept driving into my head. So guilt in the absence of a crime is neurotic. You feel guilty about not going to see your grandmother. Is that a crime? No, that's not a crime. Then you shouldn't feel, you shouldn't feel guilty. You can feel something else, but guilt shouldn't be it. It's incorrect. And that was the, the beauty of Bob was, you know, I would go in and I'd be all fired up emotionally and be like, I just encourage you, you know, let's be scientists and let's sit down and let's take a look at, let's take a look at what's going on. And he would always just zero it down to one of these few things. But, it, but before that, you had to remove the things that were, were clouding my judgment, which was guilt and anger. And anger is next episode. Okay. We're gonna, we're gonna, <laughs> it's an anger extravaganza in episode eight. Uh, because it's, it's such a, uh, th that is something we share. Now, whether or not other species feel guilt, eh, you know, when you come home and your dog's cowering in the corner because he pooped on the rug and he knows you're going to freak out, that's more fear than I think guilt. I don't, you know, when a dog is ripping or eating a pile of its own shit or ripping apart your garbage, there's no guilt there. So, you know, it's probably safe to say that it is unique to the human condition, but anger is not. Anger is shared. Anger and fear are shared traits amongst all species on this planet. And really, if it wasn't, you know, there'd be no strive for life. Why fight for life if you don't have fear and, and a, way to, um, a way to defend? So very, very interesting um, places to go with that particular emotion. But guilt, guilt is, is ours. And uh, it, it, the, the question we are going to end with is what if I have guilt in the presence of a crime? We are guilty people, the Sobolewskis, Dad, Kev, me, because we committed the very crimes that I am saying that I didn't commit when I don't want to visit Bupchi. So I'm sitting here talking to you about how, oh, I got so much anxiety about visiting my grandmother. But I tied people to chairs. I stuck guns in people's faces. I told them that I was going to kill them. Um, I, did, I, I committed crimes. So I am guilty. Now, when I, back in prison, I sent... Uh, I, when they try to pin my dad 
they try to charge my dad with um, manslaughter for the death of Bob because Bob died uh, three months after we robbed him. Uh, broken man. Nobody believed him anymore. Uh, listen, uh, I still dream about it. I still uh, have very difficulty thinking about it. I know I have... I used to have a joke about duct tape and, and my act, and it's not in there anymore, mostly because somebody said they didn't like it. But at the same time, understand that was a uh, that was almost a way for me to try to process it. If I can make people laugh about it, I can maybe get it out. If I can talk about it with you guys and make you guys see the absurdity of it and laugh at it, then that might alleviate the little bit of guilt that I feel over the, every single time I close my eyes and think about that time. I feel regret. So guilt being a great motivator is uh, all fine and good if you can do something and motivate to alleviate it. But when it, you don't, when, you, um, when it is not neurotic guilt, it is actual guilt, that shit uh, ferments and turns into regret and turns into a form of... Um, I don't know, man. And I certainly don't want to make myself sound like the victim. I really don't, because I was not, and we were not. But uh, that's the part that's the, the hardest to live with. The regret is the and and karma is a bitch, you know. And when I think about you know sitting here and complaining that I was escorted out of a. a Boys and Girls Club in Salem, I should have been. I deserve that. And those are the times that I look back and say, hey, this is, you have to, you know, you got to wear that red badge of courage, bro. And to the, to some extent, you know, I'm, I'm doing a podcast right now about all this stuff, but, and I don't want to make any mistake. I don't want to glorify any of it. I want to I want to bring home how hard it has been to live with it. it sucks. Um, all right, so so <laughs> I think I covered everything. I really think I covered everything, and I hope I I think I cleared up any audio issues that I have. If you saw where I am right now, <laughs> you'd laugh your ass off. Uh, but uh, next episode is going to be all about anger. You fucking angry. Why are you so fucking angry? Uh Maybe that's what I'll call it. Why are you so fucking angry? Uh, no comedy this week. I don't have any stories. Uh, still plugging away. Uh, again, check out xconcomedy.com for any updates going on with the one-man show that you might want to check out. And I will see you guys next week. <laughs>